That's how you start a sermon. Right there is a sermon introduction. I want to just echo what you've already heard today and tell you. I thought I was going to get to dance a little. I'm just kidding. That would be bad for everybody. No, it is such, such a great day to be in the house with you. I want to say especially, especially again, happy, happy Father's Day to you. If you are a dad in the house, we honor you and thank you for what you're doing every single day. It is an exciting time. Um, and I also recognize that sometimes Father's Day can be a tough day for some. If your relationship with your dad or your kids is strained or maybe Maybe you are missing a dad at some point in your life. We recognize that this can be a challenge as well. And so we want you to know that our prayer for you today is for healing and for comfort from our Heavenly Father, the God of all comfort. And I want to begin this morning by having a word of prayer for our dads, our dads who are in the house, our dads who may be watching online because they're ill and couldn't be here in person. That was a joke. Or... Whatever the case might be, if you are a dad, would you please stand where you are and let's honor our fathers one more time, shall we? <clears throat> we, like to, we like to have a lot of fun, usually at dad's expense, um, contests and that sort of thing, and we recognize that we are called to a holy task as dads. So let's have a word of prayer for our dads this morning as a church family. Father... This morning, we come to you grateful for your presence in this place, grateful, Father, for each of the dads in this room right now. Father, for any father who may be watching online, we thank you. And Father, we lift them up to you. Father, it's our prayer that you would use us as fathers, as dads, to parent, to teach, to build, and God, ultimately to disciple our children in the nurture and the admonition and the teachings of God. Father, we openly admit to you that this is a task we cannot do on our own, and so we ask your favor, we ask your blessings, we ask your help, your courage your rest for the job that you have called us to. May we be faithful in this job. May we be faithful to you, faithful to our families. We ask this prayer in the name that is above every name, this same Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you all so much again for being here, for celebrating this with us. I'm gonna tell you something. <clears throat> Went to town on that right there. That, that is no joke, getting that thing in there. You know, I thought it was ironical, which is not a word, but I like to use it anyway. I thought it was ironical that we had this competition up here as these dads were competing manually for power tools that would help them exponentially do the job in front of them. And then it just kind of hit me, whoa, that is a perfect picture of fatherhood. And by the way, fatherhood in this respect is a 
perfect microcosm of the Christian faith at large. Now, today is a Father's Day sermon, but it's not just for the dads in the house. Because fathers, just like every single follower of Christ, we are called to a role. We are called into a job that we cannot do on our own. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. In short, we need help. I want you to turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face and in your heart and say, I need help. Now, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that some of you men did not say that. I know. I, I know. Now, some did. Some, most did. How many men in the room hate to ask directions? Can I just see a show of hands? You know what? God bless you. Now, I would also say God help you, but God bless you. That, I think that's kind of part and parcel of the male makeup, the male mystique, if you will, we don't like to ask directions. We don't like to ask for help. We don't. And yet, God has given us this role as dads, as Christ followers. He's given us this job where we, by definition, have to have help. For the last few weeks, we've been in this teaching series, The God of Power. We've been doing a deep dive into God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. He is, after all, God Almighty. And his power is infinite. His power is eternal. His power is perfectly expressed and conveyed to us. And yet, we still wrestle with, we still struggle with a power play between us and God, which is actually really funny. If, if, you, if you think about our natural inclination, our natural resistance to bowing the knee to God, to, to inviting God's help into our life, it's actually funny. I remember when Joe was like in kindergarten. And we would go out on the driveway and play basketball. We would go out and I would, I would kind of dribble around and I'd throw up a shot and, and I'd, I'd maybe miss a shot so he could get the rebound and then he'd take it back and bring it out and he'd score. And I don't know what your philosophy of parenting is, but let me just share with you the correct philosophy of parenting. You never let your children win. You don't. That, that's just... First of all, it's a lie. You're lying to your children. If you, I'm just kind of teasing. But I never let my kids win. I didn't. That way, when Joe turned 24 and could finally beat me, <laughs> might have been 14. But either way, when he actually did win, he knew he was winning. But when he was in kindergarten, I dominated him. <laughs> I mean, I smoked him. He'd throw up a shot, and I would box him out. I'd get my tail down low. He'd be like, whoa, Dad. I was like, that's how you play the game. 
as an adult, my power overwhelmed him. God's power is a gift to help. The power to help us is one of the things that God does best. Throughout this series, we've been using the songs of ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These 15 psalms that were written for Israel to sing in worship and praise as they made their way to Jerusalem for three annual worship festivals. And today we come to Psalm 124, which speaks specifically to the subject of God's help. Israel is singing this song. Look at what it says. This is Psalm 124. It's not long. None of these are really, really long chapters in Scripture, but they are so, so powerful. Look at what it says. Psalm 124. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat, what if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. But praise the Lord who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is from the Lord. You know, as a father, of all of the skills, of all of the things that we will teach our kids, could I suggest to you today on this Father's Day weekend that there is nothing more valuable that you will ever give your children than this lesson right here. The Lord is your help. The Lord is my help. I need help. Because when we teach our kids that the Lord is their help, then they know where to go when we're maybe not right there with them. They know where to go when we're long gone from the scene. They know who to count on, that they'll figure out soon enough that we're not perfect. They'll figure out that we're flawed and foibled human beings. But if we're pointing them toward the God of help, that will empower them, that will equip them, that will teach them how to forgive our flaws and our foibles. How many dads know that we need our children to forgive us? Can I just see a show of hands? One of the most powerful things you can do as a father, as a parent, is to apologize to your children. To say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I had to do this, I know, at least twice when our kids were growing up. <laughs> there, were, there were times when I would, you, you just kind of like, like you lose it I internally. You just like, you, you look back at this this beautiful, beautiful child that you helped bring into the world or that you've adopted, that you brought into your family. And in, when they're in the middle of defiance and, and tantrums or, or they're caught in a lie and, and there's something inside of us as dads that just kind of like, like, what? What are you doing? 
what are you doing? And there were times when I would deliver the right message in the wrong way. How many dads have ever given the right message in the wrong way? Can I see a show of hands? Thank you. In those moments, dads, we need help. We need help. Now, it's not only parenting. It's not only in those moments when we lose it. It's just day-to-day living that we need help. I wonder, beyond fathers, including the dads, how many of us in the room right now have a part of your life or, or something going on that you feel like, I need help with? How many of us right now need, need some help in some area of life? You know what's so funny? Is when I ask a question like this, this is how most people put their hands up. You ought to put it up like this. Make sure God can see your hand. Get it up. You see, when Israel would sing, God is our help, the Lord is our help, where would we have been if God wasn't on our side? They had a unique perspective because Israel, remember their history went all the way back to when God called Abram, who would become Abraham. He promised Abram and Sarai that he would make of them a great nation at a moment when they weren't even a great family. They didn't have any kids. And yet they believed God. Their faith was counted to them as righteousness and they were given Isaac. And it was through Isaac that the family began to grow and what was set apart as a holy family became a holy nation and the nation was saved. You'll remember when they when a famine ravaged their land and they went to Egypt where there was grain stored up by, by one of Isaac's grandsons, Joseph, who had risen to power in Egypt and there was enough grain to sustain them. But then after a while, that famine passed, that Pharaoh passed and there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph and Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And yet even as they were enslaved, God multiplied them, God grew them and developed them. And then God delivered them from Egyptian slavery by the hand of a guy named Moses. Took them out of Egyptian slavery, took them toward the promised land, but even before they could get to the promised land, they wandered for 40 years because of their faithlessness. God said, you're not ready for the promise yet. And so he developed them, he nurtured them, he He built them up to be ready for the blessing. And then they needed help in taking the promised land, in occupying this land that God had promised them. He didn't just wave a flag and all of a sudden it was theirs. They had to work. They had to fight. They had to have his help. They were attacked once they were in the promised land. So they understood. They had a unique perspective on the help of God. That's why This psalm was written by King David. King David also wrote Psalm 37. Psalm 37 says this, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and he saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, it's interesting that David would use this word help Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, we know this because it's in the Bible, this word help is a word in Hebrew that we saw all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, when God saw 
Adam alone in the garden, and he said, this is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a helper, Ezer. And the word helper, Ezo, Ezo Conegdo is the original term. It means a helper who compliments, a helper opposite him. This was when God created woman. This was when he, he fashioned a woman from Adam's rib. He said, Adam by himself cannot bear the image of God. He cannot convey the character of God adequately. Adam needs help. And so he made a woman. God said, in the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. Female is that Ezer Connecto. The only other place that the word Ezer is used is in reference to God. So if you ever wonder the status or the the value of a woman in God's economy, you remember he equates their helping Adam with his helping his people. That's, that's the term. It doesn't mean when it says a helper suitable, it's not that God gave Adam an assistant. <laughs> Please, no, may it never be. Everybody say no. no. Very good, men, you should have said that loudest. <laughs> but it meant that he was giving Adam help in conveying the image of God. There are parts of God's character that a man conveys more than a woman. There are parts of God's character that a woman conveys more than man. There's overlap, to be sure, but this idea of help, that is why, just on the way by, that is why male and female really matter. It is a big, big deal. Male and female is not a social construct. It's not something that we are taught as infants or children. It is a part of the fabric of reality. That's why we don't mess with it. We don't alter it. We don't change it because of how we feel or because of some misleading doctrine that is popular at a certain time. Male and female convey the image of Almighty God and is a holy assignment. When you were born a male, when you were born a woman, God gave you a blessing and an assignment to carry his character in that form, in that fashion in this world. It is a big, big deal. And so God calls us to this. He asks us to be his helper in this world. He says he will be our helper. Ezra, the God who helps. Dads, if you're ever at a loss, let me, that's the wrong way to put it. When you are at a loss, what to do, what to say, what tone to take, remember the God who helps. Now, sometimes... God disciplines us because he loves us. He will guide us through circumstances. He will let us bear the natural consequences of our choices sometimes. But it is always for the purposes of helping. This is, this is why you and I live in a world that is literally dying and crying for men to be men to be who God created us to be as he created us to be. And that should have been more than a golf clap, but I'm gonna keep moving on anyway. Now, to be a man, 
doesn't mean you have to hunt your own food with a spear. If you do, that's fine. But it means that you own the responsibility to help, to, to be the man, like, like as God helps us, God provides, God protects, God works, God soothes, God loves. That's, that's our job. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't work, that women don't sue. That's, that's not at all what is being said here. Look at Proverbs 31 that describes a godly woman. This is an entrepreneurial, loving woman that, that the Bible says is of, of great value, more value than jewels. So don't even think about sending me that email because that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I am talking to men. Men, we are living in the middle of a masculine crisis. It is a crisis, which means a turning point. We, we have an opportunity here to be godly men. We, we hear a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. I, I don't, I know that's not what God intends for us. God calls us to be tonic masculine men, to, to be men who help. Here, here's how Webster's defines tonic. Tonic is producing or adapted to produce healthy muscular condition and reaction of organs. Tonic is one that invigorates, restores, or refreshes. That, that's a tonic masculinity. That, that's, that's a masculinity that helps every environment, every space that it occupies. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Have you ever walked into a, I don't know, maybe a restaurant or a store and seen in the window the help wanted sign? How many people have ever answered a help wanted sign in a window? Let me see a show of hands if you've ever done that. I love it. You know what, when I was in college, I answered a help wanted sign at Shepler's Western Wear here in Austin. I went, I called them, I said, I'm gonna, I filled out an application, I gave it to them, I waited two days, they didn't call me back. I called them back. They said, yeah, we've got a big stack of them because school's starting right now, so check back with us in a day or two. I said, great. I waited 24 hours, I called them back. They said, oh yeah, I remember talking to you yesterday. I said, yeah, I remember you told me to call back. And then, Hung up. They said, we'll call you. 24 more hours, they didn't call. That day, I drove to the store. I said, hey, I turned in an application about a week ago, and I've, I've called every day this week. And they go, yeah, we know. <laughs> I said, I need, I need a job. I, I, need, I, need, I need to work while I'm in school. And, and the lady who was in charge of the jeans department just happened to be the assistant manager that I was talking to. She said, you know what? Come upstairs. I've, I, I, I've got a place for you. And so I went to work at Shepler's Western Wear in the jeans department. Now, I told you that to tell you this. I'll never forget one day I was standing in the jeans department. And, and if you've ever worked retail, it's kind of a boom or bust. It's either really, really busy or really, really boring. And I was sitting there one day on the boring side. And two women walked into the jeans department at Shepler's Western Wear. And this one lady looked at me and she said, hey, what size do you think I wear? 
I said, hi, nice to see you. Nope. <laughs> Ain't going to do it. I'll suggest a color. I'll suggest a make. But I'm going to let you pick the size you think you ought to wear. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. <laughs> at some point, we all put out the help wanted sign. At some point, you will get to a place where, like Shepherds Western, where you need some help. You, you need more than you have. At some point, you will get to the end of yourself. And there are four basic approaches that I want to just mention to you as a way of recognizing the four things that most of us will do. The first one is help yourself. This is what the secular humanist says. The secular humanist will say that we are all in this together, but ultimately, you got to help yourself, I got to help myself. Just help yourself. The only problem with that is when what I consider to be help for me contradicts what may be helpful for you. And so that, that answer only goes so far. The second approach to help wanted is <laughs> heaven help us. Heaven help us, just, just kind of a flippant offhand. This is the agnostic approach. Like, you know, heaven's up there. We're, we're just going to put good energy out into the universe. We, we believe that there is some force out there, maybe the force, but just heaven help us. The third one is I'm a good person, so God will help me. This is the religious perspective on help wanted. This is the perspective of the older brother in Jesus' prodigal of the prodigal son, Jesus' parable, the prodigal son. The older brother who didn't leave home, who didn't run off to the far land. The older brother felt like he was entitled to the father's blessings, to the father's love, because he had been a dutiful, good son. The only problem is no one could ever be good enough to deserve the favor of the Father. Religion doesn't work. And this is where we come to the gospel. Number four, the Lord is my help. The Lord is my help. This is the gospel answer to help wanted. I can't do it. I need God's help. And God is not the universe. God is not the force. God is personal. He is a personality to connect with, to interact with, to collaborate with. The Lord is my help. So help wanted. How do you, how do you get there? Well, it's, it's actually embedded in Psalm 124. I want you to, to write down the word want down the side of the page or maybe on your phone. Just the word want, W-A-N-T. We're going to make this a little interactive on this Father's Day. How do we access the help of the Lord? Want. So I'm going to start with W. Give me a W. w. Worship. 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 It begins with the acknowledgement that He is God. 
He is our helper. He is distinct from us. We are not God. He is not us. He loves us. He created us in his image. He offers, he wants to help. But we are not the same. And so we begin from this place of worship. God is our help. The God who created heaven and earth. Jesus' model prayer begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. You are God and I am not and I worship you. And, and by the way, I need you. W, worship. A, give me an A. a. Ask. Ask. Worship, but, but also ask. Jesus said, whatever is on our hearts, present your requests to God. And if you've begun with worship, then you have already begun by establishing the reality that he is God and I am not, so I am surrendered to his will, and so I will ask for what's on my heart. I will ask for the help that I need. Ask for the help that I need. Now, in, in is very, very important. Give me an in. Notice. Notice. When you read Psalm 124, look at all of the examples that were used where God gave Israel help. We escaped our enemies. The waters would have overtaken us. That's talking about when they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, escaping from Pharaoh's army. Israel had a collective memory of God's faithfulness, of God's help. They noticed it. They celebrated it. They remembered it. When you see God do something in your life, make time to notice it. And then T, give me a T. Trust. After a while of worshiping, asking, and noticing, you, you, you're going to build the muscle of trust in your life. The muscle, it's faith. Even when you don't know what to ask for, you go, I've seen God do it so many times before, I trust him. I don't even know, God, how to put into words the help that I need right now, the ask that I'm making but I'm asking you for your peace that passes all understanding. God, I'm asking you to move in this relationship that feels dead. I'm asking you to move in, in my career. I'm asking you for direction. I'm asking you, God, to show me the next step to take. I don't have to have the whole map. Unless you want to, I'll take that. But at least, God, the next step. And I trust you for it. I trust you for it. Tomorrow is June 19th, Juneteenth, which is the celebration of a monumental day in our nation's history. On June the 19th, 1865, Union Army General Gordon Granger landed at the port of Galveston and brought with him the announcement of Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Now, it was 1865. Lincoln had made the proclamation in 1863. But as you might imagine, in Civil War Texas, not everybody was excited to announce it. 
And so slavery had held on for two more years. But when General Granger arrived with order number three, establishing a beachhead, if you will, for freedom, starting in Galveston, moving inland to Houston, and then throughout the state. During Reconstruction, the word went out that freedom was being granted to slaves. General Granger's order number three reads in part like this. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. By order of Major General Granger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. I don't know that you and I can really imagine the gravity of that announcement. For people who before that moment had lived their lives as property, chattel, to be bought and sold, to be told they were now free. That's a day worth celebrating. That's a day worth honoring and remembering as we move toward the ideals that we aspire to as a nation. It's interesting that the Bible says before Christ enters a life, before someone begins to follow Jesus, we are slaves to sin. It's not mistakes were made or it was a lapse in judgment or an oops or, or any of the other ways that we try to rationalize our sin. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved to sin. And, and a slave cannot be liberated without help. The one who enslaves does not give that up lightly or easily. The freedom celebrated on Juneteenth required the sword of the United States Army to enforce. Our freedom spiritually, our liberation from the bondage of sin required the blood of God's own son. Never forget that this same Jesus who tells us to turn the other cheek, who tells us that he does not condemn us, is the same Jesus whom Revelation refers to as a sword-wielding warrior. His robe is dipped in blood and his thigh has tattooed the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Lord is a warrior. 
Freedom costs blood. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. This is what he meant in the book of Luke chapter four when he had been reading from the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah in the temple. Jesus said in Luke chapter four, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the power of God to help. It is for freedom that we have been set free. See that you no longer live in bondage to sin. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that freedom, you've never accepted the news, the announcement of this freedom. In just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to attend church a certain number of Sundays a year or watch online and do something like that. You just have to choose to respond to his grace. You choose. I chose at one point in my life to say, I accept. I accept this, this good, the good news of the freedom facilitated through your death, burial, and resurrection. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. Today, if that's your prayer, if you want to take that step, that first step of faith, just pray right where you are. Silently say something like this, just from your heart to God. Say, God, I need you. I confess my sin to you so that I can claim, I can accept your grace and forgiveness. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I know it won't be perfect, but it is real and it begins right here and right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, then as a church family, we want to help with what comes next because this is just the beginning for you. If you would, allow us that privilege. We've got a little, a little gift we'd like to give you today. It's a, it's a new believer's packet. It includes a Bible for your own in a translation that is very, very readable and very accurate to the original languages of the Bible. There's also a, a reading plan there for you to help you get started in this relationship 
that you just began, that you just entered into. When we dismiss in just a moment, as you go out into the lobby out to your right, there's a place there called The Hub, and there'll be some folks there who would love to maybe have that conversation with you. But I wanna ask you, if you would also, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand and hold it up high over your head? Raise your hand and hold it up just as a statement, physically, of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a family with you, we honor that and we celebrate that. And our family tradition around here is as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.